0: Don't be surprised when it all comes falling apart. with just one to boss move from total chaos. will this world that we live in still rolls and breeze. Don't be surprised when it dies like you and me, cause it could happen in the day. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Living Off the Land. This is episode 240 coming at you on a Wednesday night. And you know what that means.
1: Oh, episode 240? Oh, Two man. 240. Whenever, whenever you have an episode that ends in a zero, you know it's going to be, it has to be special in some way. And, uh, you know, we're going to get
0: right into it here, folks. Uh, let's talk about the beer of the week. Well, first, let's introduce ourselves. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know by now I am Dan, and that is Stephen. Uh, We make up the podcast, Living Off the Land, and yes, as you heard of the cracking of the beer can, as always, we are starting things off with a beer of the week, and we are going through our Christmas beer series, as we do every year around this time, and we bring tonight a beer that we've had on the show before. I mean, pretty much now, I've been doing this for four years now, I mean... Once you get into these seasonals, we try and do all Cleveland stuff, and we pretty much have have had everything, especially from the big-name players in the city. This is no exception. The beer tonight is from Fathead's Brewery, and it is called Pimp My Sleigh. It is a Belgian-style Christmas ale. Ah,
1: yes, an American pimp.
0: <laughs> it's a Belgian pimp. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> but this beer is delectable, and... Uh, it is, like I said from Fat Fatheads Brewery. And I'm gonna be completely honest with you. If I have more than one of these tonight, I might be sleeping in this studio because it is 10.5 ABV percent ABV, 30 IBUs, it packs a wallop.
1: Belgian ale at 10.5% ABV. Pimp better have my
0: waffles. <laughs> <laughs> clip it. Clip it. Oh, we gotta put that on the sound soundboard that we hardly ever use anymore, but because there's only two of us and can only do so much. But that was fantastic. <laughs> Better have my I don't know what it means, but it was awesome. Uh, okay, just a little bit about Pimp My Slay. So on Beer Advocate it gets a very good 89 score. Uh, it is a rich, complex. Belgian-style holiday brew, brew that has intricate aromas and flavors of sweet dark malt, dark fruit, raisins, figs, anise, and spicy fennels. A thick, creamy head. Pause. <laughs> Always tops it off. Yeah. <laughs> Better have my fig, too. That's right. Um, hey, I got a fig tree in the garage. Mmm, yes. Yes. But anyway, uh it gets a 4.0 rating based on customer reviews. This is one of two Christmas sales that Fatheads will feature. Uh, we may feature the other one, the more uh the more well-known Holly Jolly, uh, which is the more contemporary Christmas sale. This is a heavier Belgian style Christmas sale. And uh yeah, this whew, Pimped up holiday brew is what they say on the can. It is a very uh, stock can, meaning it's got the typical Fatheads logo. He is donning some stylish sunglasses and a sweet little Christmas hat and a nice little uh, white beard. Uh, so, Fatheads is feeling the holiday spirit, if you will. But anyway. Pimp My Sleigh is always a favorite of mine ever since I first had it, probably about a handful of years ago uh, at the saloon in North Olmsted, I think was where I first tried this. Mm -hmm. This is before the beer hall in Middleburg Heights had opened, and uh, this is very, very, very good. I am a big fan of this. Again, 10.5%. I believe that's even more than Spooky Tooth, which (coughs) – If you have more than one of Spooky Tooth, you will be singing with the canaries, whatever that means. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, we are pimping along here with this beer. And it is delicious. Uh, I'm going to go 7.9 on the rating scale here for Pimp My Slay. And this is based off of uh, the taste is really good. It only comes in packs of four, so it's a pretty expensive beer. But again, it tastes good, so you're gonna you're it, it's worth it on taste. And then if you're looking to get yourself a nice little Christmas buzz, uh, if you drink two of these, like you're gonna be feeling it. So it is a little bit more of expensive beer, but you know you get what you pay for, and it's worth the. Investment, I guess. I don't know. Well, anyway, seven point nine for Fatheads Pit My Slay. Belgian style Christmas ale, and that is oh, uh, got this at Max Beverage again. Uh, the price point on this was, I believe, eleven ninety nine for a four pack, and they only sell them in four packs. So, uh, yeah, eleven ninety nine for a four pack. A little bit more expensive. Usually eleven dollars will get you a six-pack of a beer. But, again, uh, this beer is chocked full of flavor and uh, alcohol by volume. So that is the beer of the week. All righty,
1: then. Well, now that we've gotten through that, let's transition into better-know-a-neighborhood. So in the last few weeks, again, we've been on this tour of, you know, some of the more upper-class suburban areas in the – Greater Cleveland area. I thought we'd get a break from that this week Cause, you know, if there's one thing that uh, suburbanites are guilty of, especially this time of the year, is there's all these social events. It's build up to Christmas, and at work you're trying to get everything done so quickly because everybody's about to go away for two weeks, and it's just this you know mad dash that everybody's feeling right now. And if you're you know, a little bit younger and you're like in high school or college, you know you got exams going on right now, so it's kind of that same deal where you're cramming and trying to you know get those. Get those grades and everything so everybody's a little bit you know stressed out and everything so today we're actually going to go a little bit off the off the radar here um i love christmas villages i love big christmas displays and sometimes i mean you can get those all over cleveland but there's just there's just something nostalgic about going somewhere new somewhere different somewhere out in the country where you're just kind of away from it all and so I was looking around at places that would be appropriate this time of the year uh, to maybe take some more of these, you know, I, if this was Fox 8, they call it the one tank trip. Um, so this is kind of like what this is here. We're going a place that's two hours to the south of Cleveland near where I-77 and I-70 intersect. I am talking about the town of Cambridge, Ohio.
0: Ooh, interesting
1: cambridge is an area of about approximately 20 square miles uh, again just to the northwest of the intersection of i-77 and i-70 in east central ohio and at this point you might be wondering why am i talking about this this place well it has some of the best christmas themed stuff you'll find anywhere and in particular they literally line the downtown and a lot of the buildings to look like what you might see in a small town in southern England at this time of the year. They actually have a tour called the Charles Dickens Tour, and it, it the Dickens Welcome Center and Curiosity Shop is actually a, a real place. It's located at 745 Steubenville Avenue, right uh, close to downtown Cambridge. And as you follow this. You know, self-guided tour, you actually go past a whole bunch of exhibits and places um, that are from this, basically, you almost go back into the 19th century. Um, preferring to celebrate Christmas the old-fashioned way with roasted chestnuts. And, chestnuts roasting on an <laughs> open fire. Yeah, I know. Dan doesn't like that song, but... Drag, rah, 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 rah. I don't like that, so why would I not like that snow, I thought, song? I, I thought that wasn't one of your favorites. Oh. What? Hmm. The Christmas Song, that it's called.
0: It's a great song. Hmm. How dare you?
1: Wouldn't make my top ten, but eh, be that as it may. Um, While well, exploring the historic downtown of Cambridge at the Dickens Victorian Village, until the end of December, the town is transformed into old world England during the holiday season, featuring more than 90 scenes of 180 lifelike figures representing typical scenes from Victorian society and Dickens' novels. Features scavenger hunts, trolley tours, tea at the Victorian Tea Room, horse-drawn carriage rides during the weekends on select dates, and much more. Uh, once again, inside the Curiosity Shop, you pick up your guide, shop around, and even try on some of the Victorian area clo- era clothing for photo opportunities. And again, these sites are kind of uh, within a six to eight block radius of downtown. You kind of just—it's one of those things that you can just take a whole afternoon. And, and just kind of go around and do. And there's, uh, on certain days, there are characters and, you know, people acting out certain scenes from A Christmas Carol and other uh, Dickens novels. It's actually quite amazing. One such site is the Colonel Taylor Inn Bed and Breakfast, which is on the near north end of Cambridge. This is at 633 Upland Road in Cambridge, and it is forced, this is, of all accommodations, I've ever seen on Google. This has the highest rating yet I've ever seen. Mm. 4.8 stars on Google. Uh, Every single review is just, except for one, I literally is sterling. Uh, Evidently the owners and the um, people who work there are just the nicest people in the world and they just go above and beyond to, you know, whatever you need, whatever you wanna do in the area, they're extremely knowledgeable, they'll help you out. It's just, it's really like you're stepping back in time when you go into this place. It was founded by none other than Colonel Taylor, who was actually a... Colonel Sanders? Former uh, Union Army colonel during the Civil War. So it's been around since the 19th century. And it's the whole building's been restored, and it looks just amazing from the outside. So that's definitely a place to check out. Another place to check out there is the National Museum of Cambridge Glass. Cambridge Glass was a major... Uh, silverware and glassware maker back in the 1800s and the first half of the, the 20th century. And their factory for a long time was literally right in downtown Cambridge. And it wasn't until the late 1980s, well after the company had dissolved, that it uh, ended up being raised basically, because it was just falling into disrepair. But this museum basically has prever- preserved a whole bunch of the really ornate glassware that was produced by the company for well over 100 years. And it's this place is also four point seven star rated on Google and is open six days a week. Uh, Cambridge Glass Museum, one thirty six South Ninth Street, right in downtown Cambridge. Uh, definitely some place to check out if you're really into um, anything dealing with glass or anything with um, you know art pieces or uh, the like. And then I would be amiss not to mention this. Uh, this is sort of a place I thought I, I would talk about with Christmas in mind. But just to the northeast of Cambridge is one of the top state parks in the state of Ohio, and that is Salt Fork State Park. Mm. Salt Fork State Park is one of the um, seven main Ohio—one uh, of the may- bit large parks— state parks by the ohio uh, department of natural resources located in eastern ohio in guernsey county salt fork state park encompasses a stunning landscape featuring forested hills open meadows misty valleys decorated with winding streams and a very large lake in the middle with thousands and thousands of acres of land of water the park has something for every outdoor enthusiast boaters will appreciate the park's two marinas and eight launch ramps hikers will be challenged by a trail system that offers a variety of lengths and levels of difficulty And I can't stress that enough, folks, because the terrain out there is very, very undulating. It's not flat in the slightest. And if you've ever – they also have a top-rated 18-hole golf course on the property, and I've played this course before. It has a slope rating of 135. That's actually harder than Sleepy Hollow, which I talked about last week, which if you ever played Sleepy Hollow, that gives you an idea of how difficult this place might be. I swear, more than half the holes on this – are tee shots down to a valley and then shitting back up the other way, sometimes on a dog leg. Mm. it's frick- And the rough is pretty deep as well.
0: Yeah, so nothing worse than a deep rough. That
1: course is brutal. I, could, I It's been a long time since I played it, but I'm pretty sure I was over 100 the last time I played it. So overnight accommodations at Salt Fork State Park include a whole slew of deluxe vacation cabins, a very large campground, which is RV-friendly, and also the full-service resort lodge, which is just primo. So uh, complete with a very large swimming area. Um, You've got restaurants. You've got a lounge in there uh, and a whole bunch of other services within the lounge itself, uh, within the lodge. So, uh, again, Salt Fork State Park is just a little bit... Uh, northeast of downtown Cambridge in Guernsey County, just a little ways away from I-77. So this is, if you're looking for a place maybe for a staycation, maybe for a place where you might leave early in the morning and come back at night, um, just as a little holiday getaway, I highly recommend the city of Cambridge and Salt Fork State Park as definitely a place to see. So that's the furthest away we have traveled from Cleveland on this segment thus far. This is something that we might do every so often uh, going forward. But uh, for now, that is the town of Cambridge, and you can wham with the right hand.
0: Wham it, wham it. All right, another one in the books. That's cool. Yeah, that's a that's a uh, out of the box thinker there. But but I like that, especially around the Christmas season, around the holiday season. So absolutely, we all need to de-stress a little
1: bit, especially once we get to Christmas. Because I mean, you're probably feeling it too. You know, just gotta gotta have everything. I mean, you mentioned right before we went on the show. You know, gotta get Christmas shopping done. That's another thing. You know, yeah. if you if you're if you're done by now, you know, gold star to you. But if you're not,
0: uh, it's clock's the, running out. It's, it's December fourteenth. I'm a guy. I haven't even started. <laughs> so. Yep. Yeah, Amazon will be my best friend for the next week. Well, you better get the order in now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That don't wait true. till next week. Yeah, right. Or else I'll be going to the Strong'sville Mall oh. like, I, like, I did, like I did last night. Oh. And I tweeted, trying to park in a mall during the holidays is like tr- was like entering the seventh circle of hell.
1: And this was on a Tuesday. On a
0: you know, Tuesday. Which you
1: think would be one of the easier days. Yeah.
0: I mean, maybe it's because I was an idiot and tried to park in the front of the mall. Maybe I should have, like, parked the dicks or something in the back. I don't know. You know, pause on that one as well. But... Uh yeah, that
1: sucks. Are you saying that every season starts at Dick's because that's where you're starting your Christmas shopping? Uh,
0: apparently. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's what they shout, say. Shout out Dick's. Yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> <laughs> at least, anyway. At least Strongsville's
1: not like North Olmsted where you have a Dick's and a BJ's right next to each other. Okay.
0: <laughs> but um tss. Shout out BJ's Brew House. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to text my brothers later and go, like, "Hey, guess what? Steve was talking about dicks and BJ's on the podcast tonight.
1: <laughs> Two very quality businesses, if I do say
0: so." <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's. <laughs> I don't know how you transition out of that one. Let's uh, let's talk about this last week. And uh, let's get into the week that was with the Cleveland Cavaliers.
1: All right, so the Cavaliers are playing tonight against Dallas. That right game now, actually, actually just started, just tipped off, and Cavs actually started the game on an eleven to two run. So very nice. Hopefully, they will get over their last game, which was a total mess in San Antonio. And going to say it's
0: the exact opposite of last week. You
1: texted me saying, like, why are the Cavs just not able to win games on the road? I can't answer that right now, quite yeah. frankly. But to be fair, they didn't really look good at home this week either because. They, they played against Sacramento. They lost.
0: I didn't watch that game. All I saw is uh, we lost that game by letting the Kings close the game out on a 19 nothing run in the last five minutes of the game. Shameful. 19 nothing.
1: They had an eight-point lead with five minutes left.
0: How do you give up a 19 nothing run at the end of a game at home?
1: Especially when you're like, you know how you're down like, five, six, seven, yeah. and, you know, you're running quickly to try to score. And, like, if you're going for a two, they almost concede the two. They How even, do you like, not score? Yeah, you're right. How do
0: they not even score in that situation? I know Donovan Mitchell didn't. I, I don't think Donovan Mitchell played in that game, or maybe he did. I don't know. I don't think he did.
1: No, that would explain a lot if that was the case.
0: Still, you have Darius Garland, Jared Allen, uh, Evan Mobley, like, plenty of guys that can score points.
1: Somebody on Twitter wrote at one point that Darius Garland was 3 of 15 shooting. Yeah,
0: he's North having a quarter, rough so he's, he's having a rough month. He's having yeah. a rough month of December. Um, you know, obviously we still love Darius Garland. We still think he's an all star mm-hmm. caliber point guard, but you know, guys, guys go through rough patches, and I think he's I think the emphasis to uh integrate Garland with Mitchell, Mitchell with Garland was so concentrated that when Mitchell is out for whatever reason, Garland like forgets how to play like he did last year when we didn't have Mitchell, and he yeah. was an all-star point guard. I don't know if he's forcing it too much. I don't know. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, Darius Garland is capable of going off for 50 like he has this year, and then he's had a few, actually like a handful of games this year where, you know, he shoots like three for 15, and he scores like 11 points. Yeah, he still puts up the assist numbers, but especially when Donovan Mitchell's not in the lineup, we need Darius to score.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't, like, the alternative is that maybe you're getting a big games from Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, but like, and maybe Kevin Love is hitting threes off the bench, but. You know, yeah, it's Kevin, hard. It's hard to.
0: He's another guy that's struggling. He's he's trying to play through that broken thumb on a shooting it's hand. It's hard just, to scrape
1: through. Yeah, you know, when your stars aren't performing, and you know that that's. Been, my guy
0: Chetty is just hot, and then he's ice cold. Right. So it's a, it's a lot of inconsistency that we're seeing right now. So this
1: week was kind of a shame for the Cavs. They have we no s- idea how to win on the road. They've we said this was going to be out of nine. A, This was going to be a week where the Cavs we thought they could take advantage, and unfortunately they didn't. They went 1-2 and against Sacramento, Oklahoma City, and San Antonio. Not good opposition. And two of those games were at home. It'd be one thing if all three of them were on the road, but, like, uh, no. So this is an important game for the Cavs tonight. If they can right the ship against Dallas, a team that's better than the three they've just played, and beat them in their building, that would really be helpful. That might get them back on a good trajectory, especially with a six-game homestand coming up, including – Indianapolis, Dallas, uh, Utah, Milwaukee, Toronto, and Brooklyn. Uh, the last of that stretch is on Boxing Day, the twenty sixth. Awesome. So it's hopefully the Cavaliers can get things going again because they they've definitely hit a rough patch in the last week.
0: For sure. Um,
1: from a standings perspective. 17-11. You 17-11, know, still third place, but some of the teams like Brooklyn and Philadelphia are, are starting to come up behind them a little bit now. So if they have as bad a week this coming week as they just did, they'll probably start falling down the standings. Uh, Boston and Milwaukee still at the top of the conference, 22-7 and seven and 20-7, and seven, respectively. Um, looking over to the Western Conference, the Grizzlies and the perhaps the surprise of the bunch, the Pelicans – 18-9. The Pelicans,
0: nine. are they still the, fir- the one seed in the West right now?
1: They are tied with Memphis.
0: Un- <laughs> Boy, this is not your grandfather's or grandmother's Western Conference. The top two seeds in the West right now are New Orleans and Memphis. Yeah. Third
1: no. third is Denver.
0: Not Golden State, not the Lakers, not the Spurs, not the Mavs. Uh, you know, who else is out there in the West That's that's usually at the top? That's pretty much it.
1: Uh yeah, I mean Phoenix.
0: Yeah, I mean well last Phoenix year Phoenix, is Phoenix. Fourth place. But New Orleans and Memphis. You know, that whole Zion saga the last couple of years where he's been injured and people say he's overweight. You know, he's obviously he's repaying it in in mass this year. He's been awesome this year. But there there were people who were like wanting to, like, run David Griffin, like, out of New Orleans because the team it's just like, yeah. Uh, aren't you glad you didn't do that? Yeah. uh, Memo, over here, Cleveland fan. Yeah, you know, the GM that uh helped break the 52-year curse of the city's uh, title drought. Uh, maybe give that guy maybe, maybe longer than, oh, I don't know, six months. I mean, look at what he's doing with that franchise. You know that they're having that success. You know they, like... They have like eight first round picks over the next like three years. They own the Lakers draft. Yeah, for the next like three years, like literally,
1: kind of like how the Texans do with the Browns. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. Well, not to that. Well, not quite to that extent, maybe. But yeah, the, the same concept. The Bra- no, that the the, uh, the Pelicans own the Lakers draft more than the the Texans own the Browns draft, but. Mm. With the addition of like pick swaps and stuff like that, but yeah. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, if if the Lakers end up bottoming out, the Pelicans, Lakers
1: the Lakers are in twelfth place right
0: now in the West. The Pelicans could end up with the number one pick next year and 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 end up with that Web and Yama guy.
1: I don't know if the Lakers are going to be worse than you know some of these teams at the bottom, well, like the Spurs. The it's Rockets. the lottery.
0: It's the lottery. Um, who knows? I,
1: yes, granted, it could be. I mean. The odds are, if you're not in the bottom five or six, you're probably not going to pull the pick. But then again, the, the year that Kyrie Irving came out, there was, I think the Clippers were the eighth worst team, and the Cavaliers owned that pick, and that ended up being number one. So it's it's not impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. As far as the Cavs go, uh, we kind of talked about it last week. They've got a uh, what is it? Six game. Uh, after today, they have a six-game home stand. Yeah, they come home from
1: Dallas and they they play six games at home. Yeah, time for the Cavs uh,
0: to come home and get fat.
1: Yeah, and with a PH. Mm Hmm. Seventeen and eleven on the season so far. They're approximately on fifty-win
0: pace right now. Are you? Are they above meeting or below your expectations so far?
1: I think they're meeting. I think they were exceeding in the early going and now they've kind of settled back a little bit to where I think they're yeah. just... Exce- they're 5-5 ex- in their last 10 games I years. was expecting, like, low 50s win total this year, yeah. and they're on pace for that, so...
0: Yeah, I think, what, they're on pace for, like, 50-51 win- yeah. wins right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm probably right there with you. I, I guess the last handful of games, and especially just not being able to win on the road, and really, it's not just, like... They're losing to bad teams on the road. Right. And that's a little bit disconcerting. Obviously, the team is still very young. So, you're going to expect some growing pains, but I've heard multiple times from JB and like Donovan last night where this team just expects to like roll out the balls and just, just beat these bad teams. Oh, you can't do that. No. They haven't earned that. No. Anyway. Right. 100%. Like... Like this team hasn't technically hasn't even made the playoffs yet.
1: They, yeah, right. Like, how could they have that sort of a superiority complex already? That that just doesn't make any sense. I
0: can understand it maybe if you're playing these teams at home because we're twelve and two at home. But on the road, I mean, you gotta have that mentality where you gotta scratch and claw and get these wins on the road. They've lost eight and nine on the road. And again, overall it's not a huge concern, but it is a bit it is a little bit of a concern, at least right now, because and, and I'll tell you this look. I love Chetty. I love Lamar Stevens. This team needs a wing, and I've been saying it every episode. Lamar Lamar Stevens didn't register a statistic until almost halftime against the Spurs. He was your starting small forward. You cannot compete for an NBA championship in today's NBA without a very good Wing, small forward. You can't do it.
1: So let me think about this. That means in the almost the whole first 24 minutes of the game, he didn't score, he didn't he get didn't a He didn't attempt a shot. He, he didn't get a rebound, he didn't get an assist, he didn't block a shot, and he no. didn't steal a pass.
0: In today's NBA, your three-man doesn't attempt a shot until halftime. Hmm. You can't win like that in the NBA over a season. So, I mean, when is the trade deadline? I think middle of February, February, late February, something like that. I mean Kobe better better figure listen, Far be it for me to criticize anything Kobe Altman's done over the past couple years, but that you know that it's like it's like we talk about Andrew Barry and we talk oh actually, the Browns as a whole we talk about you go back to like Ray farmer, like the blind spot of this team. Is being able to hit on wide receivers. And yeah, DPJ's been pretty good. Amari Cooper's been solid. But we don't have game breaking talent at receiver. And I feel like that's how the Cavs are at small forward. Yeah. We have a couple guys that are serviceable. You know, they're NBA players. But to win in the NBA, you have to have dynamic play. From your, from your small forward. And to me, when I say dynamic, the only thing that I need from my three-man is to play defense and hit a, a standing set shot three. I just need a guy on offense that can pretty – when you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, you don't need your three-man to be a playmaker. You need him to stand in the corner, and when Donovan and Darius break down the defense, kick to you, you got to be able to hit that corner three or on the wing or whatever. They've tried it with Isaac Okoro. He couldn't hit a shot to save. He can't hit a shot to save his life. They've tried it with Lamar Stevens. I just talked about what happened on Monday night. And Chetty Osman can either score you twenty five or he could go zero for seven and score you three points. You can't have that. So that more than anything else, I think that's why the Cavs are struggling, and you see it a lot in late game situations with the Cavs. Defenses will focus all their attention on Donovan or Darius, and you don't have that like release valve where they get into trouble and it's always the guy who's playing the three. His guy comes over and doubles Darius or Donovan, and you have those issues where it leaves the guy in the corner open and you want to be able to say, hey, I can pass to you if you're open and I can trust you to make that shot. The problem is we don't have a guy that can do that.
1: That's where I think Kevin Love's thumb injury hurts us a lot. Absolutely, you're not I agree le- with you. Chances are you're I, not leaving that guy wide open. I and
0: mean, we talked about it last. We talked about it last week. I think how many times last year were the Cavs like down six, down seven, going into the fourth quarter, and they go on like a 19 to one run. Yeah. And a lot of the times when that happened, it was because Kevin Love hit like three threes in succession. Yep. And just got the crowd into it, and then forced the team to call a timeout, and then, you know, we're off to the races. Yeah, I agree with you. Kevin Love being injured. And not being a hundred percent, I mean, he's trying to gut through it and play through it, but you can tell it's affecting his shot. I mean, the guy's got a uh, fracture in his, sh- in his sh- thumb on his shooting hand. Yeah. Would you be able to shoot as well as you normally do if you had oh, a fractured oh, thumb?
1: Oh, oh no. Right. Whether it was on one hand or the other, frankly. Yeah. Because and then even not even so much the shooting motion, but like you know catching
0: the pass. Well, that's also cause, it. That's also also because the way you kind of shoot the ball.
1: Right off of the the one shoulder off mostly the side, yeah, yeah. yes.
0: But, yeah, um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, hopefully the Cavs can, uh, you know, beef up their record a little bit here with this homestand. And, you know, we get through the holidays and everybody's feeling good. And then, you know, all eyes towards the trade deadline, see what the Cavs can do. Because I think that the Cavs, even as presently constructed, can win a playoff series this year. I think if you, if you find that impactful uh, three that you can count on, I think this team could go to the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think so. Because you've already shown that you can hang with Boston. Yeah. You've played Milwaukee twice, lost both games. Both of them are on the road.
0: I think so. the Cavs. I think the Cavs can beat one of Milwaukee or Boston, but I don't think as present not both as presently constructed. I don't think they can beat both.
1: No. If
0: even they could, one if they, would be a tough slog. If they could get a dead eye, uh, three point shooter to play at at the three, then it would be insane because it would open up so much more for Garland. And Mitchell is is scoring at a 30-point clip specifically because of his talent. It's nothing that the offensive system is doing. It's his talent alone. Him and Darius, the partnership that they formed is great. We want to see a little. I want to see a little bit more assertiveness out of Evan Mobley, and I think we're starting to see that, and that's amazing because I'm telling you, this kid, Evan Mobley, has so much untapped potential. I think Evan Mobley can win MVP in the NBA at at some point in his career. I really do. I think he's that talented. Hmm. Now it's going to be up to JB and himself to unlock that because it's there. But I think sometimes he's a little bit passive, and he's not as assertive. And I think that's because he's playing with two ball-dominant guards that take a lot of shots. You know, it's hard for him to, especially at age 21, go to those guys and be like, give me the ball and get the F out the way. And I think he has that kind of ability, eventually. You've seen it. He's gone on coast-to-coast drives. He has the handles, he has the moves, he Euro-stepped steps. Dunk, he euro stepped on Joel Embiid and dunked in his face. I mean, he's that skilled and talented. But I think as he develops, and again, he's 21, there's, you know, the book has just started to be written on Evan Mobley and his career. I think he could be an MVP candidate, MVP caliber player, not this year, obviously, but in his career, three, four years down the road. So the Cavs are 17 and eleven, correct? Are they still yes. third in the conference? Still third. Okay.
1: Brooklyn is a half game behind. Okay. Fourth place. Interesting.
0: Uh yeah. So that is the week that was with the Cavaliers. Uh, like I said, they are playing the Dallas Mavericks as we speak. And hopefully that's a win for the Cavaliers. As you're listening to this, you will probably know whether it is or whether it wasn't. And yeah. So uh real Least, quick Least the Cavs came ready to play tonight. Yeah. Whereas that was not the
1: case in some of these recent games.
0: Right. Um real quick on the Guardians. Uh we talked about them signing Josh Bell last week. Uh they have since signed a catcher, Mike Zanino, who was formerly of the Tampa Bay Rays. They lost out on the Sean Murphy sweepstakes. He want, he goes to the Atlanta Braves. Uh Atlanta just wanted too much that the Guardians were weren't willing to give up for him. And and I, I agree with that because <clears throat> Sean Murphy was not a stopgap, but was a guy that you would probably get over the next like couple years, for the next couple years. And, uh, you know, we have Bo Naylor, Josh's little brother, who's coming up through the system who's a catcher. And, you know, it looks like with the signing of Zanino from Tampa Bay that you're kind of going to get a little bit of platoon action with Zanino and Bo Naylor. Zanino is a clear-cut He's either going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out. That's literally what he is.
1: Yeah, he brings pop to the lineup Huge for pop. sure.
0: And this guy had over
1: thirty home runs in his last full season. I mean, 30, he was,
0: and he didn't even play a full season. He played one hundred nine games in twenty twenty one. He hit thirty three home runs. The bad part is he struck out one hundred thirty times in those one hundred nine games.
1: That's very unGuardians like. If you look at the rest it of is. the lineup,
0: what I what I think, and when I first thought of this, I'm like, man, that I don't like that at all. The good thing is, is he's going to be one of the only guys in our lineup that does that you know it hurts when you have like four or five guys that are like that where they just strike out every other at bat right but if you got a guy especially a catcher you know in that 33 home run season he only hit 216 but I can live with 216 from a catcher if he's going to hit 30 bombs you know right like Austin Hedges on this high end would hit 200 but he would hit seven home runs you know, at least if if you've got that, uh, you've got that ability at the bottom of your lineup to where, hey, you know, we can't just throw this guy anything and get him out. Like if you throw him something, he's going to hit it out of the ballpark. <laughs> so, makes a big difference. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm okay with it. Uh, it's a one year, six million dollar deal. So he's a, you know, he's a basically a rent a player. So I'm fine with it that way. Um, yeah. I mean, if we weren't going to get Shaw Murphy. There really wasn't, you know, you're not going to get Wilson Contreras. They didn't, obviously didn't get into the Christian Vasquez sweepstakes. Uh, There's that catcher from Toronto, which I guess we had some interest in, but I'm okay with this. If he he can stay healthy, and, again, he's not going to have to play every day because we're going to have Bo Naylor hopefully up uh, for the season. Um, So I'm interested to see the fact that we were looking at potentially allocating some of our very deep farm system in a trade for Sean Murphy – well, we then take some of those um, prospects and assets and maybe put it into another trade. Because the Guardians are going in trying to compete in 2023. And when I mean compete, I mean they're they're going to try and win the division again. Not and, just the division. And get to the, the World division. Series.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: They realized last year that they've opened up a window for themselves. And, and I applaud them for the signing of Josh Bell. And this signing of Mike Zanino fills a hole. So I'm not I'm not gonna say I'm I'm over the moon for Mike Zanino, but it fills a hole. But will you now see some of take those some of those assets we were maybe looking to allocate and trading for a catcher? We didn't have to do that. So maybe are we gonna allocate that in trading for a starting pitcher, trading for somebody in the outfield? Um, you know, everywhere else with the addition of Josh Bell and him platooning between first base and DH with Josh Naylor were really pretty much set up in the infield. I mean, you've got Bell Naylor first, uh, Jimenez second, Rosario short, Ramirez third, and then now Zanino and Naylor uh, behind the plate. So that's pretty much set up. And I, we have the young talent in the outfield. Last year, Quan uh, Straw, and, and uh, Oscar Gonzalez – do you maybe look at a, adding somebody to platoon with Oscar Gonzalez maybe? I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah.
1: Anybody who's a fan of SpongeBob SquarePants
0: would not want that. <laughs> well, there's still the, you know, Oscar Gonzalez, he isn't really a guy. We need somebody that's, I don't know, he's still very young, and you need the platoon because he's – He's a right-handed hitter so I think we need somebody that can hit you know predominant you know be a left-handed bat that can hit right-handed pitching so um so yeah we'll see what happens uh we're still very very early in the off season of
1: baseball so I'm just hoping that by June we're not hearing certain people referring to him as Michael Kays
0: and you know probably will mm. and I'm sure you will mm <laughs> Uh but anyway, uh moving right along. Uh the Browns have a football game on Sunday. It really doesn't mean much anymore. Saturday, actually. Saturday. Sorry, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Saturday,
1: Saturday, yeah. Saturday, Saturday. Saturday at four twenty
0: five. Is that on CBS or Fox? NFL Network. Sorry. I asked you this last week and you told me and I forgot. NFL also, Network. Also uh Channel Five, I believe. I, I think, think Channel it Five locally.
1: locally, yeah. Yes. So that game starts at 425, a uh, hugely important game for Baltimore. Uh, they need a win to stay atop the AFC North. The Browns can say phooey to that if they defeat the Ravens.
0: Yeah. Hey, I, I read yesterday that we have a 0.4% chance of making the playoffs, so we're not technically dead. <laughs> somebody, somebody actually took the time to write out what would have to happen uh, for the Browns to make the playoffs.
1: What? So they went out in the Chargers, Jets and, and Patriots all, all lose all out. All lose out, yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: And yeah, and the yeah. So uh, <laughs> Um But what do you think the reception this is gonna be Deshaun Watson's first home game? Uh what do you think the reception is going to be? Oh,
1: boy. Uh I I, mm, I mean I think it's gonna be positive. I do um i think that perhaps because in, oddly because of the situation the game not meaning as much now that they lost to Cincinnati um perhaps people will be not as nervous in the stadium and will just be going in with a, with a mindset of hey if we win great if we don't it's all right you know no big deal and you know i think people are going to be in a much more jovial mood so to speak than they would be otherwise uh, whereas if as if this was a life or death game, you know, it'd be would be a little different. There'd be a little bit more nervous energy.
0: Yeah, I I think anybody who you know, there were talks when the trade was made of like protests at Brown Stadium and like like all of these like groups like in the stadium just like booing him and whatever, I don't think that's going to be the case.
1: I do think the NFL did Watson a big favor in a sense by having his first two games back on the road. Yeah, this is now his third game back. He's finally playing his first game here, so I feel yeah. like a lot of the, and he the got energy a, and fury was was unleashed in Houston, not here in Cleveland. Yeah,
0: and even in Cincinnati, there was a lot of booing on the first drive of the game, but after that, you didn't hear anything out of like, you know, them booing like a division rival. Like, right, like the first drive of the game, especially the first snap of the game, like as he's walked like jogging onto the field. Yeah. You heard booing. mm mm-hmm. um, But I don't think it was, like, substantial to what, like, everybody was saying. Like, like yeah. I I don't think – I think if you don't – if you don't like the Browns acquisition of Deshaun Watson for off-the-field stuff, stuff, I think you're probably just not going to go to the game. Yeah, right. Like
1: – Especially with it being a meaningless game anyway. Like, Yeah, you're not going to go
0: to the game with the purpose of, like, booing
1: him. Wow. No – game against the division rivals truly meaningless but yeah you get the point
0: well i'll tell you what it's it's not meaningless for the head coach because there are betting odds online that have him as the second most likely coach to get fired after the season
1: how many coaches within the league have been fired so far this year is it just matt rule or did (sighs) anybody else get canned at this point I
0: think you're correct. Yeah, Matt Rule in Carolina was let go. I think that was like in week eight. Yeah, he's so. already employed. <laughs> he's a head coach in Nebraska. Oddly enough. Um. Yeah. yeah. Uh. I. I think who is. Uh, I can't remember who the first who is most
1: likely was it. Nathaniel Hackett. Yes.
0: Nathaniel Hackett is the most likely to get. It was let either go.
1: him or Josh McDaniels. I would think. Yeah. Which is interesting because both of those coaches are in their first season.
0: I know. <laughs> um,
1: Just goes to show you how badly things have gone in Denver and, to a lesser extent, Vegas.
0: Right. Yeah, so... I, oh, my apologies. Uh, it is going to be a very, very, very important game uh, for Kevin Stefanski. And, again, listen... We didn't want it to be this way, but with the Browns playing out the string, these last four games are still very, very important for their new starting quarterback looking towards next season. All this really is is getting him as comfortable. I, I, you know what's funny is I would say as comfortable as he, as he could be with the offense, but there's a chance, like if they go 1-3 and three or, or, God forbid, 0-4 oh the rest of the way, that he's going to be learning a new offense next year. Oh, yeah.
1: Which would not be positive, which would basically mean that these last six games were just a complete waste.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically just to get him used to professional football again. I mean, other than that, yeah. But I I do expect Stefanski back. I don't think this team's going to crater, mainly because their last four games, their degree of difficulty is not very high. The toughest game they have is on Saturday from a record standpoint, and that team is going to be uh, starting their third quarterback who's never started an NFL game before. So I mean Who is that, by the way? Anthony Brown. Hmm. I think he's a rookie. Uh he will be the quarterback for the Ravens if uh Tyler Huntley, who was I believe was in concussion protocol, he got hit and knocked out of the game on Sunday, can't go on I can't imagine he would be able he'd be able to go on Saturday, but
1: yeah, no, because you're talking about a, a shorter week than normal.
0: Yeah, and I guess Lamar Jackson hasn't been ruled out yet, but he hasn't practiced, and I don't think he's going to play on Sunday.
1: Certainly, if he hasn't practiced by tomorrow, then he's definitely
0: not going to play. Yeah, I don't think so. so. Two days before
1: the game is usually like the key practice. If you're not in
0: that practice, you're out. Yeah, it's out. Like the fri- it, normally the Friday wow. practice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what happens. I do expect Watson to play better. Um, I expect the running game to be better. It was god awful on Sunday. Um, I expect the Browns to win on Sunday. The Browns are the Browns are actually favored on Sunday. They are three point favorites, I believe.
1: That's a sucker bet, similar to the Minnesota Detroit line from this past week, and that was a win and a cover for
0: the Lions. Maybe yeah, it'll be the but, same well, for the Browns. Yeah, I mean the only the the difference is were the Lions favored in that game. Yeah, against Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. They're fair by two. two. Right, right, right. Yeah, same. Yeah, same deal. Same deal. The only the only difference is, the Lions are playing like one of the best teams in the NFL right now. The Browns are not. Um, that's that is fair to say. Yeah, five and one in their last six games. The Lions. Yeah. God
1: bless them. Started one and six.
0: I'm not going to be rooting for them to go to the Super Bowl because then that takes another one off the list of uh, teams along with us that haven't been to the Super Bowl.
1: That would just mean it would be an easy win for the AFC team, probably. But yeah,
0: you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So the Browns are uh, down to like their fifth and sixth linebacker, as JOK went on the IR today or yesterday. <laughs> I Great. Mean, I mean, if I'm the Ravens, <laughs> if I'm the Ravens, I'm not throwing the ball more than five times on Sunday.
1: That was probably going to be their game plan anyway. Right. Given their quarterback
0: situation. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you not run the ball forty-five times against the Browns, every time? Now, Especially as
1: bad as the, now, they've been better in recent weeks defending the run. I will agree with
0: that. They were actually pretty good against Bengals, except for that fifty-yard 50 run. Yeah, you know. fifty-yard run that uh, that uh, Mixon ripped off. But they were actually pretty good. Oh, and then just giving up and not tackling Samaj P. Ryan, letting him run in for a touchdown. But hmm. uh, yeah, be that as it may. Uh, <laughs> Do we
1: want to uh And actually yeah. there was a second coach let go, the Indianapolis. Oh, that's changed, right. Changed coaches that's a few right, weeks Frank ago. Reich. Yeah. So yeah, Frank Reich is out.
0: And then that whole saga of out of the blue naming Jeff Saturday, the interim coach. Yeah. Um
1: Saturday, Saturday there he goes. Saturday, Saturday.
0: Is that the Stones?
1: No. Uh oh no, well, maybe it is. I gosh, I don't even know.
0: It is the Stones. Get out of here. Hope your dad doesn't listen to this. Uh oh. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Hold on.
1: Anyway, while you look at that, I'm I'm just pulling up the list of possibles that could get fired. We said that Nathaniel Hackett was number one most likely to go, and then Kevin Stefanski was number two. There's a couple guys on here that I'm a little surprised that Stefanski is higher than. Most notably, Cliff Kingsbury of the Cardinals. I would have thought that he'd be definitely up for consideration to get canned. Uh... Brandon Staley of the Chargers might be one that might not make it past this season. And then the other one, there was one other I looked at. Well, I don't know. I don't know if Tampa would fire Todd Bowles after one year. Probably not, but Tampa's really underperforming compared to where we thought they would be this season. Then two other teams might have interesting decisions to make, New Orleans and Pittsburgh um uh, with Sean Payton and Mike Tomlin. I mean, those are both Super Bowl winning coaches, but those are two franchises that look to be on really poor trajectories right now. So mm-hmm. definitely some big discussions to be had in those places. But yeah, the Browns playing 425 on Saturday.
0: Okay. It was it's Elton John. It's
1: not the Rolling Stones. Okay. I I didn't think it was the Rolling Stones.
0: Uh, you know all those 70 songs Everybody, sound alike.
1: All the Alton John fans right now are probably just, like, <laughs> beside themselves right now. But, I'm sure we've got a lot of them. Yeah. I don't know if any of them listen
0: to this podcast, but, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so what do you, what do you think on uh, on Saturday? What do you think, uh, prediction-wise?
1: I don't think Baltimore can beat us with a third-string quarterback. Yeah. They didn't beat us with a second-string quarterback a year ago. I think this will be the best game that Watson has played so far. They had to literally
0: scratch and claw to beat the Steelers on Sunday.
1: Yeah. Pittsburgh had won their last two games prior to that game as well. Uh, I know Baltimore has a habit of just doing barely enough to squeak by, but I don't think that's going to be good enough this week. I think the Browns will play well enough to win this game.
0: Yeah. I think this is going to be Watson's best game of the three. Um, I think he's going to look – as close to the guy we thought we were getting when we traded for him uh, since he's returned. And I believe that the Browns – I actually think the Browns are going to win pretty convincingly. Yeah, I was thinking two-score victory, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking like 24-10, to 10, something like that, mm-hmm. which is incredibly, like, weird because of the way our defense has played pretty much the whole year. But, again, defense has been trending upward, though it has been and again we suck at the run, at stopping the run but because of who's playing quarterback i think you're going to s- see the ability for us to be able to put an extra guy in Throw the box to help in out the box. yes 100% yeah so it's going to be interesting um it's going to be interesting i do think that the browns are going to win and uh, out
1: of our remaining games, I probably feel more confident about this game than any of the other three. Really? Actually. Yeah, I do. Just because of even the against Raven, the Saints at home, just because of the quarterback situation and because of the fact that it's you know division game, you know on the road. I mean, this you know we don't have a great history against Baltimore, but
0: when we beat them, it's usually here. So, how crazy you know. is it that the Browns could end up with a winning record inside the division and finish below 500 overall? This would happen if they won the two remaining division games.
1: Right. Which would then require them to drop one of the other two games, which, I mean, the Commanders are having a decent year. They could easily lose that one.
0: Commandos on the road, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Saints, they're not playing well, but they still have some dangerous players. I mean, they, they could still find a way to win, possibly. Yeah. So, it's – I mean, I would say it's probably most likely we'll finish 500 in the division. I – I mean, maybe we do beat Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh game won't matter much at the end for either team. Yeah. I mean, it'll be about as meaningless a
0: Pittsburgh-Cleveland game can be, even though it'll never be completely meaningless, obviously. Well, I don't know. How many how many times over the years has the last game against the Steelers been meaningful for the Browns at all? Yeah, 2020 last, it was.
1: 2020
0: it definitely was. That was at home.
1: Um, Twenty eighteen. Well, no, 2018 we actually were playing Baltimore the last week. Um where Baltimore and Pittsburgh were still in the playoff race. In the 2017,
0: thousand. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm already, uh, I'm already disagreeing with myself. 2017 was important because uh, we had to win to avoid going 0 in 16. Of course, we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it does, it does always seem like, and this is where I hope this doesn't happen for Kevin Stefanski. How many times have we lost against the Steelers on Week 17, whether it be home or away, and then we fire our coach the next day?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. For a while, there was like an almost yearly tradition.
0: Yeah. And you know? even, and, and Hugh Jackson was fired in the middle of the season, but he was also fired after a game at Pittsburgh. How funny is that? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. Was yeah. That? I thought it was Tampa. Nope. Oh. Nope. Nope. I believe Pittsburgh was the week after Tampa okay. that season. Maybe they made the, okay.
1: 'Cause I remember the Browns having a really huge lead against Tampa and they they coughed it up and everybody was no, really, Tampa,
0: really upset. No. Tampa was a was a game where we actually came back in. We were losing. We were losing twenty three to nine against Tampa. And that was the game where Baker got torpedoed in the head. We were losing that game. Like twenty three to nine. Hmm. Um But anyway, w- whatever. That years ago now that we've forgotten about. It's just another cast of losses i that try not to remember the thrown away a davy jones locker you know
1: i mean in, in a month and a half from now we'll be celebrating hugh jackson day yeah. january 31st 131
0: yeah right oh god let's not dwell on that anymore <laughs> anyway <laughs> we are down to two and the now FIFA...
1: we're down to two
0: The FIFA World Cup is – the final is set.
1: And now we're down to the greatest ever and the world's champion.
0: We are down to the 2014 uh, runner-up, the 2018 champion, who is looking to go back-to-back for the first time any nation's gone back-to-back since. 1938. Yes. Italy. The – hell yeah. The France is looking to go back-to-back against – what i am and and i picked them to win but what i am now some people yes, are did. some people are saying that fifa is trying to fix this for messi to win this world cup and other people no. like me are saying that argentina is now even though they lost to the probably the biggest long shot in the group stage against saudi arabia i think now this is a team of destiny and i for me i know france has played very well and We'll get into Boy, why. They looked,
1: they've looked very good today, again.
0: I don't see how Argentina doesn't win the World Cup. Don't see how.
1: Don't think I know that's a double negative. Don't but, think your Milanista boys, Teo Hernandez and uh, Olivier Giroud, could Hey, they've got Hey, they've gotten
0: France this far. I mean, Teo Hernandez opened the scoring with a great little kind of scissor goal. Fantastic goal from a uh, tight angle. And Giroud could have scored twice today. He hit the post once, and then he was just wide on a one-timer. Um, and then obviously he had the game-winning goal against England. Ha ha ha! Uh, <laughs> has it ever been home? Not
1: Have since, you ever won it? Not since 1966.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So it is. I mean, you could also say yeah, the only reason why you would you would you wouldn't say France is a team of destiny is because they won it last time. So you know, but. Uh, I just think this is Argentina's time. Argentina has come so close. Obviously, we said in 14 they were the runner-up the entire tournament, losing to Germany. (sighs) They won the Copa America, and I think they're going to win the World Cup, and I think it's going to cement Messi's legacy as the greatest player to ever play soccer.
1: I really can't disagree with you because they've gotten better as the tournament has gone on. Mm. Again, they played their worst game right at the start against Saudi Arabia. And even the knockout round, the first game of the knockout round against Australia, they were a point-blank chance by Australia away from having to play overtime in that game. Yeah. And yet they, they found a way to survive that, But and they've just gotten better ever since. They you know, came out, played very well in the quarterfinals, and then they just absolutely just boat-raced Croatia. 3 0 in the semifinal. So it, it's just, it's really looking like the stars are aligning for them. But again, this is about as difficult a matchup as you can have. I mean, if this France team were to win, you would have to start to put them on the same pedestal as like the Spain team from 08 to 12, uh, and some of the other historically great teams that have come through over the years. Yeah. You know, that Brazil team of 02, the France team of, of 98 2000. Yeah. Like, listen,
0: I'm not a fan of the France, but there's no denying it. I mean, you do something that hasn't been done in nearly 90 years, which is win back-to-back the biggest tournament in the world of any sport. Yeah. You got to be talked about as one of the greatest, you know, especially this, like, this cycle, you know, we always talk about cycles with, like, teams. Like, when players age out, young players coming in, you start a new cycle and stuff. That's right. You win two World – like, Mbappe is, what, 22, 22. 23 years old? Mm-hmm. And if they win on Sunday, he's going to be 23 years old and already have two World Cups. Two! Yeah. I mean, what's, what's stopping them from – I mean, obviously, if they went if they went back to back, they're going to be the favorite in four years.
1: Probably. I mean, unless that they have a whole bunch of guys. They'll just,
0: certainly be the favorite in the next Euro.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, they would be. Now that's only two years away.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: So I mean, a lot can happen in four years' time, but you'd still like their chances even then.
0: Right, but. I mean, outside of Olivier Giroud, most of the Fr- most of the French team is very young. Uh, Lord, yeah, most, of their, most of their
1: key players Giroud anyway.
0: Giroud and 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 people don't people don't don't uh people need to remember Olivier Giroud was not going to start in probably any of these games in the World Cup until Kareem Benzema got hurt
1: yeah and like and a lot of people myself this, included thought that was a really big loss for France. France
0: is doing this without arguably the best striker in the world
1: as evidenced by the way Benzema played in the last Club season, especially during the Champions League. I mean, the guy did the guy win the Ballon d'Or? I think he did, didn't he?
0: I can't remember. I can't remember. He might have.
1: Yeah, he probably did. You're how probably many? Right how it. many teams out there in the world can just shrug off a whole bunch of injuries, including you know, guy who won World Player of the Year, yeah. and just come out and be in, on the precipice of going back to back? That's unbelievable what they've done. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Something I didn't, you know, I stupidly had them going out in the group stage, and,
0: you know. Yeah. Well, when you're powered by you know, when you're when you're powered by the Serie A champs, you know, you always got a chance. Always. Olivier Giroud, Taylor Hernandez. Uh, he didn't play in the tournament because of injury, but Mike Mignon, the he would have been the backup keeper. I think he's better than Hugo Lloris, but that's there, neither here nor there. Uh, you're looking among their key players. Hugo Lloris is 35. So
1: you probably figure this, this might be his last go-around. I'm
0: sure Varane is around 30.
1: Varane is, Rafael Varane is 29. Okay. He would be getting up a bit by – Taylor then. Hernandez is 25. Better. Antoine Griezmann is 31. Olivier okay. Giroud is 36. Yep. Everybody else, every one of their other key players is 27 or under.
0: Yeah. Everybody in their midfield is young because none of – like. Almost none of those guys were supposed to start for France. N'Golo uh, Conte was supposed to start. Paul Pogba was supposed to start. Those guys are both out injured. Those guys are clo- closer to 30 years old. Um, of
1: the players who have played in this tournament, Adrian Rabiot is their oldest at 27. Yeah. You know, Fofana's 23. Chimeney is 22. Guendouzi is 23. I mean...
0: Yeah. They're going to be very good again when, when they come to the United States to, to in their minds, three-peat. Now... Listen, I th- I don't think at this point I don't think Messi is going to be denied, and I think you know you mentioned the beginning of the tournament. The beginning of the tournament, maybe some of the younger guys in the Argentina side, maybe were a little bit shell shocked at the beginning of the tournament, but they're hitting their stride now. Julian Alvarez, Enzo Fernandez, uh, McAllister what a weird name for an Argentinian or an Argentina player, right? McAllister, Kevin. Yeah, uh, you know, and then they got the guys off the bench. Uh, they got a couple guys from Serie A: Paulo Dybala, Altaro Martinez, um, Rodrigo De Paul, who plays for Atletico Madrid. Um, so they're pretty damn stacked too. And then obviously they've got the best player. They, you know, a lot of people, you know, all the talk of this tournament has been Mbappe, and with with reason. Mbappe is fantastic. I just. Leo Messi is using this tournament to stamp his claim that, hey, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still the best player in the world. And when I win this World Cup, you're going to call me the best player that has ever lived. I firmly think that.
1: There's no question about it. Absolutely no question whatsoever. Messi has done just about everything else. You know, what, seven Ballon Dors, doors and, you know. I don't know how many Champions Leagues he's won, at least three by my count. Um, and then I think he's all won. the other accolades he's had. Has he won yeah, the three. Copa America last year, which was a really big monkey on his back. Like, to me, that was actually what Cristiano Ronaldo had over Lionel Messi was that he had a Continental trophy to his right. name, Euro 2016, whereas Messi had failed in the Copa America several times when they reached the finals, including the final of the 2014 World Cup as well. But they got that monkey off their back last year, and now this is it. Argentina wins this title. There's nothing left. It's end of discussion. Lionel Messi, I'd like – I mean, right now, the only guys you could put in his class are, what, guys like Pele? Pele, Maradona. Maradona and Cristiano Ronaldo. Maradona
0: is like, the guy he's – is the ghost he's chasing. I mean, Maradona has a World Cup championship. Yep. Um, so – I think if if he does that, if he wins the if he wins the World Cup like you said, he now has a he has a Copa America, he has multiple Champions Leagues, he has god, how many La Liga titles does he have? Um he's got a Ligue un did Didn't they win last year? Yeah, PSG. They's got a not not that that's really an accomplishment. But hey,
1: just another feather in his cap.
0: If if he went if he went I mean if he wins this could you imagine if PSG went on to win the Champions League this year something that that club has never done Oh
1: man like you talk about another scenario where that's a club I mean it's not been a lot of years that they've been competing in you know really in the Champions League it's kind of like yeah. Manchester City but you
0: know that's another team Yeah that. I mean it's like it, winning winning Champions League with multiple teams I mean I don't was Ronaldo not, not did Ronaldo do that with Man U Oh boy! Did he win a Champions League at Man God. United? I don't think. so. I don't
1: think. Uh, wait a minute. Two thousand eight. I think Man U was
0: Champions League. He player. was already at. He was already was he at. already gone. I think he was already at. Uh, when did when did Ronaldo go to?
1: They beat Chelsea in the final that year, I recall. So I don't know if Ronaldo was on the roster or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ronaldo probably has more total Champions Leagues because of how many times Real Madrid has freaking
0: won the thing. But uh, yeah, right
1: you know, but it doesn't may one thing I do think is interesting. Cause like you'd figure France as defending world champion, they'd be the more experienced team, the more seasoned team They're not. Like we just identified all the, all the younger guys they have. You look at the the guys that Argentina has. Dybala is 29. Di Maria is 34. Messi is 35. Uh, Alejandro Gomez. I don't know how much he's played in this tournament. He's 34. Uh, Leandro Paredes, you know, 28. I mean, Nicolas Otamendi, 34. Marcos Acuna, 31. So you've got a lot of... Nicolas Tagliafico, 30. So you've got a lot of veteran presence on this team. This is not a team that's going to okay. lose their nerve yeah, he did. when he things did. get tough.
0: Ronaldo did win it with Man United in '08 because he went to Real Madrid on July 6th of '09. Okay. So, Yeah.
1: But anyway. Yeah, Argentina is not a team that's gonna blink in this situation. No. They had their failures all throughout the last decade, but it's been all success recently, and they see they really do seem poison. The people in Argentina, if you have not seen some of the crowds in Buenos Aires and some of the other cities in Argentina, you gotta think back to Cavaliers 2016. For a comparable example, they've been packing the streets literally for like every game in the knockout round.
0: Even in Qatar, they've had some of the biggest crowds. Yes,
1: which you would expect with them being a thoroughbred team. Yeah. But like, this is different. Like the uh, the total energy is totally on another level now, and they're all convinced. Like, if Argentina were to lose this game, I can't even express to you how devastating this would be to everybody involved. I mean,
0: it would almost be like we should have just gone out in the semis rather than get to the final or maybe just gone out in the group stage and just you know, <laughs> cuz they
1: lost you know true they did lose the first
0: game they had to win the last two to to get through but uh so give me your give me your score line and who you think's going to win i can't seriously
1: go with france in this situation i i know they're great and they're you know they've got the championship pedigree and everything but this this is like you said I can't imagine this is a scenario where Messi and the very talented supporting cast around him are going to be denied. I think all those guys are going to go out and say, we are winning this game for Messi. I don't care what happens. We're going to find a way. And I'm going to say that this is this game is going to end up being a goal fest. I'm going to say Argentina
0: 4-2 wow. over France. Wow. Boy, if that's a, you know what the crazy thing about this game is? It's being played at 9 a.m. here. On Sunday.
1: Oh, it's an early start. Th- so it's starting at 5 o'clock in Qatar? Yeah. No. 9
0: a.m. They're starting here.
1: Oh, uh, I know where they're doing that. They're trying to maximize the worldwide audience. They're trying not to lose, like, East right. Asia and right.
0: Australia, which, I mean, it'll still be, like, midnight there. But, like, they'll, they they
1: want to get everybody involved on this.
0: Um, So I have the same winner. Uh, I'm going to go with 2-1 to one Argentina. I think Messi gets a goal, and he gets an assist. I think he's involved in both goals. And I I just – I. Personally, I, listen, I'm not, like, an overly, like, big, like, messy fan. Like, I'm certainly not a Ronaldo fan, but I'm not, like, an overly huge, like, messy fan. But I want to recognize greatness, and he's been so great for so long that I think he deserves this moment and to be crowned as the greatest of all time. Was- I, I, I love the fact that in in our lifetimes, we've gotten to see so many of the greatest of all times play You think of football, Tom Brady, is recognized as the greatest of all time. In our lifetimes, we remember watching Michael Jordan when we were young. Right. Now, over the last almost 20 years, we've gotten to see the greatness of LeBron. We saw Kobe. We saw, you know, all these guys in the NBA that are considered the greatest of all time. And we've also now, in soccer, we've gotten to see, over the last 15 to 17 years, Messi and Ronaldo. And, obviously, Ronaldo's not going to win the World Cup because they bowed out in the round of 16. Uh, or, no. Was Lost the to final? Morocco in the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals.
1: tournament okay. darling who, unfortunately, couldn't get by France. Uh,
0: so, I think that we are going to crown a new goat of soccer, and it's going to be Lionel Messi. I think it's 2-1 to one Argentina. And uh, I think he's involved in both goals.
1: And on a personal level, I find it very cathartic And very just, I I find just a certain peace in seeing people, athletes in their mid 30s and beyond, still being able to be the best. People like Shelly Ann Fraser Price, Olympic sprinter, Elliot the greatest marathoner of all time, who's now 37 and just ran the world record. And now Lionel Messi, who's 35. And, you know, being somebody who's the same age as me, 35, and still showing that. You know, Father Time may be undefeated, but that's only in the big scheme of it. On the day, he can be beaten, mm. and these guys do it. And Lionel Messi, he's done it in this in this whole last whole lead up, whole, this whole tournament. Yep. And I do believe it's it's going to be his moment here.
0: All right, so those are our World Cup final predictions. Uh, Just a quick note before we uh, head on out of here. Cavs are up by 19 at halftime. Oh, hey,
1: oh, baby. Donovan
0: Mitchell, 27 points at halftime. So uh, Cavs are looking good so far. Hopefully I did not just jinx them. Uh, You can... uh, Tweet at us tomorrow going into the weekend if the Cavs <laughs> decide to blow this game. So we're leaving you at halftime of the Cavs-Mavericks game. Cavs I'm are up not by even 19. thinking that. No, they're not. so they're gonna anyway. game. that's going to do it for us on this episode of Living Off the Land. We appreciate you guys listening as always. Thank you so much. We appreciate the messages. We appreciate the tweets, all that good stuff. We love it. Thank you so much. Uh, and we are out until – well, we got to figure out what we're gonna do for a post-game show because the game is on Saturday. So, are we gonna do it Saturday night, or are we gonna do it? Uh,
1: That's definitely Sunday? a no-go for me. I can tell you
0: that right now. But, okay. Uh, so, oh yeah, you're gonna be. You're probably, gonna be. If we're gonna, you're gonna do a show, that, it'll probably be on Sunday. You're gonna be making that money, 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 money. Money.
1: Money. here comes the money yep. here we go all right here so maybe maybe we'll money. just do
0: it at our normal time because we'll be able to uh we'll be able to recap and go around the nfl because we won't be able to do that if we did it on saturday night so right uh yeah so that's gonna do it for us thanks for uh, listening uh, you can follow us on social media at stiffs mcgee at daniel j ford and you can follow the show at the lotl podcast and, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, on Sunday. And then next week for another edition, we'll talk about the World Cup final next week. Uh, we'll do the week that was with the Cavs. We'll talk about uh, Browns-Ravens on the postgame show. And then we will preview – who do we after the Ravens? Is it the Saints? It is the Saints. The Saints. So, And we'll preview the game against the Saints. So hopefully after a Browns win. But for Steven, I'm Dan. Champ's in the room, too. And we will catch you guys next week. See ya. Bye.